This is Father Michael Dank interviewing Bishop Roger Grease, and uh, today we're interviewing him regarding his life of prayer from the time that he was a child up until his more mature age. So Bishop Roger, if you could begin with, tell me what your first experience or your first memory was of prayer. My first memory of prayer, of course, was with my mom and dad. It was a very unusual unusual parenting because uh, my dad had been in the seminary for three years after he graduated from high school. And uh, my mother had spent six months in a uh, novitiate for the Sisters of Charity of St. Augustine. And so I, I, come to a, I come into a family where they, they both had been uh, somewhat prepared in their prayer life as well. And so uh, my mom and dad would make sure that I would be saying my prayers before meals and uh, making my prayers, uh, you know, before I go to bed and when I get up in the morning. And so so we, we never had a family prayer together as such, but we did, they did teach me to, to pray, and their example was always uh, one that was uh, very important to me and very, made a very big impact. Well, that sounds like a lot of formation for parents to have. <laughs> Most parents probably don't have that kind of formation. Not for prayer. Not for prayer. Not for prayer. When, you, when you think of that as a child, where did you pray, or, or what was that like? It was just private, you know, private, like the gospel says, you go to your room and Into pray. your bedroom? Or... So I was, always, I was always praying there mm-hmm. in my bedroom. But, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things that uh, with, their, with the influence I had from them, it was, uh, I always had a uh, desire to be a priest. You did? I always had a desire to be a priest. Mm-hmm. In fact, I used to, you know, play mass in the basement. Uh-huh. You know, my brother would serve for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we used the Necco wafers, you yeah, know, for yeah, communion. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's kind of easy because we just pretended we knew Latin. So it was just ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that kind, of, that kind of stuff. But but it was a way of, you know, of learning, really learning to, uh, you know, about the mass myself because I was you know my grandma made me green vestments too so I had vestments for you had vestments too. as well oh, man, so you. the mass was a part of your prayer even as a child did you enjoy mass as a child oh yeah yeah I, I, well I enjoyed serving you enjoyed serving I, I enjoyed serving when I was of course the first you know the first formal prayers that I was ever taught was uh, my my folks lived in our Lady of Chestahova parish on Harvard Avenue and uh, he had the Polish sisters there we had to learn the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be in Polish. In Polish. You know, so I, you know, I, I had no idea what I was saying, but it was, it was one of those things where you know, my, mom and, my, mom, my mom was so thrilled that I knew those things. But, oh. but then, uh, you know, as I, was, as I was growing up, I, remember, I still remember coming home and having to memorize the, memorizing the Ten Commandments. Yeah. You know, memorizing the Ten Commandments and uh, uh, get, you know, having mom and dad explain some of them to me. So... It was, uh, you know, with their background, it was, you know, I was, I was getting a good formation. Good now, when you prayed as a child, did you pray in Polish? The <laughs> Our Father Hail Mary? Or did you I pray in English? I don't remember. You that, don't remember but... the child? Okay. Because <laughs> we soon moved out of that parish after I've kindergarten, first and second grade. Then we moved to uh, St. Catherine's Parish, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was Polish went quickly. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I was now in the third and fourth grade there, and I was learning how to serve, so I started learning the Latin. Yeah, I had to learn the Latin for the mass so that I could, uh, you know, respond and serve because mm-hmm. that was one of the thrills that I had. Because I loved the mass so much that I I couldn't wait to serve. And so finally, in the fourth grade, I I was able to memorize the Latin well enough that I could answer the prayers at the foot of the altar and respond at the other parts of the mass. And and uh, I was able to now serve the mass. Yeah, and, you know, that was up on the altar. That was a thrill for me. When do you think you had your first? Felt presence of God. 
Well, first, I think the first felt presence of God really was uh, uh, when I received my first communion. Mm. When I received my first communion, because it was such a such a thrilling moment in my life, because I had played mass for many years, mm-hmm. for a couple of years. You know, now here I am getting my first communion, which means that uh, now, you know, I'm really going to have Jesus, and uh, I, uh, you know, was excited to be with Jesus and to spend time with Jesus. You know, after communion. Yeah. It was time to just talk. Just Wonderful. talk as a friend. So that's when you felt closest, was that's right when after I felt you received closest, right after I received communion. And, and to this day, of course, the Mass is still, you know, the integral part of my life. Mm-hmm. What were some other significant moments as you grew up in life? Do you remember any moments of uh, transitions of prayer where you felt your prayer grow deeper or, or moments of prayer that seemed profound to you? Well, I think when I was when I was a, uh, a senior in high school, a senior in high school, the uh, I was a member of the varsity football team, and uh, we just got a new coach, Augie Basu, who was became legendary. He coached in Benedictine for over fifty years, but that was his first year in Benedictine, and he lived in Maple Heights, and so did I. And so I asked him one. T- I went up to his house. Uh, during the summer, just say, welcome to Benedictine. Welcome to the Benedictine family. And then I said, you know, you know, if you really, you know, if you would like some company on every morning going to school, I'd be glad to ride along with you. You know, I'm thinking to myself a little selfishly, I get out of riding the bus. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but, but he said, sure. And then he says, I said, what time should I meet you? And he says, well, how about about 7.15 down at the corner of Libby and Lee? And I said, 7.15, that's 15 minutes earlier than I leave when I take the bus. I said, why do you go so early? He said, well, because I go to Mass and Communion every morning. Huh. And so uh, Mass and Communion became the daily part of my senior year in high school, too. So I was, you know, I, was, I think I was being formed. I think God was, God was certainly calling me and giving me uh, every indication that uh, he wanted me to be uh, one of his clergy. You know, and did you, and what was it like to go to Mass and Communion every day? Well, for me, it was... In high school. I well, can't imagine a lot of high school kids... Well, then I became a member of the serving, you know, the mm-hmm. John Birchman Society. You know, I became part of the serving crew, you know, and uh, and, and it really, the chaplain of the school was uh, Father Jerome Koval. And Jerome eventually became the abbot, you know, at Benedictine. And so uh, he was a, became a good friend of mine and a, an inspiration and an influence on my choice of vocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was a... It was a uh, it was an experience that I that I loved. You know, it was uh, it was just uh, the Latin. I took Latin for four years in high school. You know, I did two years of Greek in high school, and uh, the more I the more I got to know the Latin, and the better it was. And uh, you know, it helped me out as I moved forward with my with my life. Mm-hmm. You've always seemed anytime you celebrate the liturgy that I've experienced, you've always seemed extremely joyful. Well, what more happy? <laughs> Where can you be more happy than when you're when you're celebrating the you know the, the liturgy with uh, with Jesus? You know, yeah. and it's it's one of those things that impresses me so much is that uh, you know I don't think people realize the fact that uh, that when we offer this mass together, everyone shares in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. You know, as a priest, I just uh, I'm standing in the place of Christ, representing the congregation, but everybody there is offering up. Their sacrifice, you know, and it's one of those things. I try to, 
I try to make people feel that uh, this is a joyous occasion. It's not a burden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, you know, it, it may be a sacrifice, but that's what love is. You know, yeah. Love, yeah. love is that sacrifice. And so I always try to have a smile on my face and try to enjoy what I do. And uh, it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's saying, those, saying those words uh, become, you know, what was a special occasion that was on the day of my ordination when I could say, this is my body. Mm. You know, knowing that with the, you know, with the impact of the sacrament of holy orders, now I can say the words of Jesus and a miracle takes place right in my hands. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that that, that unleavened bread now is the true body of Christ, the body of blood, soul and divinity. So how can you help you to be joyful? And I know myself, anytime I've been with you at Mass, I feel God's presence through your <laughs> prayer, through your, you know, it's so evident. Yeah, because I, you know, especially now in the last few years, last few years, I, as I see more and more priests, um, you know, say the Mass, sometimes I see it where they, they say it in a very monotonous way, you know, like they're just, you know, like they're almost like a computer mm-hmm. saying the Mass, you know. And I try, to, I try to say the prayers, the prayers of the Mass at least, you know, with, with meaning so mm-hmm. that, you know, take a, say them slowly. And with the new translation, you have to do that if you want to get meaning out of those words, out of those, out of the translation. You know, you got to, got to prepare, and you got, you got to pause at certain points, you know, uh-huh. and phrase it properly so people can understand what it's all about and really know what you're, you're right, praying, right? Because yeah. if you read, rattle it through, you, mm-hmm. you don't understand what word that, you know, what, what the message was. So when I first got to know you, well, when I was a child, you were the, the abbot. And um, how has the Benedictine spirituality impacted you, or has it impacted you? Oh well, it certainly has. It certainly has. That was that was my life for forty five years. Yeah, mm-hmm. forty five years. You know, just uh, just going to uh, you know, going up to uh, St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota, for my first two years of college, mm-hmm. in preparation for the entering into the order, because that's where we went to get our philosophy. So. Anyway, so I went two years up there, but uh, as a college student living in a, you know, pre-theology dorm, uh, you know, I was still able to play varsity football, play varsity baseball, and you know, kept kept working along. And uh, but it was in a in a pre-theology room in a pre-theology uh, dorm. There was the prayer life, you know, and so we were getting introduced already, introduced already to uh, Benedictine prayer. What was that like? What was the prayer life like? Well. Time for meditation, Lectio mm-hmm. Divina. You know, time mm-hmm. for time for some reflection on the readings for the next day. You know, and then preparing. You know, and I still do that. You know, you was know. that hard for you at first? Well, yeah, it was hard for me at first. You know, I wasn't used to that kind of discipline. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of discipline. It was easy just to sit down. You know, for myself and you know, say you know, say say some prayers or or talk to Jesus in there. But then to sit down for a half hour, you know, and just reflect on the readings and trying to bring out. You know the true meaning of the reading, so that uh, you know I can understand the mass better. Because yeah. the message, the purpose, the message of the mass comes from the readings. Right. When you pray, do you pray to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Who do you talk to? <laughs> Who do you talk to when you pray? Well, I talk to the I talk to the one God, because as I pray, I keep thinking, uh, thinking of Jesus' words in, in the Scripture. You know, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, what does that mean? Well, it means that you know, there's only one God, you know. And uh, I look at I look at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as three roles that that God has in our life. But there's only one God. So when I pray to Jesus, I'm praying to the Father, 
yeah, through the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Know, so the the one God. So yeah, it's a um, it's it's something that uh, really touches my heart to recognize the fact that uh, that God loves me so much. You know that He has given me the gifts that I have and the and the, uh, and the talents that I have uh, to use to help bring people closer to Him. And so when I talk to him, my you know my first prayer is a prayer of gratitude, yeah, yeah. appreciation for for what he has given to me. Mm-hmm. But then to glorify him, you know, to glorify him because uh, you know, he is the he is the goal of our life. You know, he is the goal of creation. You know, he is the he is the reason you know that I do what I do and that we, following Christ, you know, live the life we live because we want to be with Jesus. And I love the prayer. I love the prayer that they have in, in you know in the Eucharistic prayer number three, where you commemorate the dead. And we talk about you know, you know, I shall be like you because I will see you as you are. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know that, that means that uh, you know we're going to see God because we're going to be in the same state as God. Mm-hmm. You know, the same state as God. It's not a, it's not a you know, <laughs> the mis- the mysteries of, of the afterlife. They they just they boggle my mind. You know, how can I? You know, how can my dad, who died in 1979, and my mother, who died in 2006, you know, and I, when I die, I get there at the same time they do. Yeah. Because there is no time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, nobody's there before somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how is it when I listen to and I see some of the um, some of the revelations of people who have died and have spent the time in the after in the new life we then came back to, you know came back to here and talk about their expressions of what they saw and everything and and Jesus was there to greet them you know and they as the youngsters sat on Jesus lap and everything and I said you know with with the billions of people that have died and gone to heaven already how could that person see Jesus and have Jesus talk to them and yet Jesus is there for each one of us yeah. he's there for each one of us you know and it's <laughs> It's, it's it's everything is possible for Jesus, you know, for God. So, but it's, it boggles my mind just to think about some of those things. And but uh, you know, when I reflect on when I reflect on death, especially you know, the older I get and the more I see people like my my mm-hmm. classmates, you know, dying, you know, and uh, you know, going, you know, and leaving this world and going to, going to their eternal reward, I keep thinking, well, you know, at my age, you know, I got I'm thinking about that more and more myself. And so I pray. I pray each day when I when I offer the mass that uh, that God will form me in such a way that I will be ready to see Him on the day that He and calls. And when you when you think about that, what does that evoke in you? Does it evoke fear, or does it evoke joy, or evoke? Well, it it evokes uh, more joy than fear mm-hmm. because I know that you know, it's something that we all have to expect. You know, we all have to cross the Jordan River if we want to get into the Promised Land. You know, and so you know, it's, it's, death is an experience that we don't know what it's like, but we do know that it's more than we can ever anticipate. Never imagine, yeah. and we can never imagine, you know, more than we could ever dream of. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, you, in a way we look forward to it. But when I see, you know, as a priest, you know, when I see uh, people who are, who are near death, I had an experience with this just a couple of weeks ago. I was at Marymount Hospital for a, a mass at the shrine of Our Lady Chestahova, and a couple came over. They came for the mass, but their their father was in hospice over there, and he was dying. And they asked me if I could come give him a blessing. Well, you know, when I when I went up there, when I went up there to visit them after the mass, you know, 
he was he, he was comatose. He wasn't didn't seem to be recognizing anything. But the people his his kids were around the bed, and uh, you know I I just start talking to him. I start talking to him about the joy he's going to experience. Mm-hmm. I says, when you let go of this life and you enter the new life, you know, and Jesus is there to greet you, you know, and you you'll be able to visit the Blessed Virgin, you know, and and all your loved ones, you know, will be there waiting for you, you know. You know, it's it's a, something that you shouldn't. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Of course, the kids were all crying, but yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, but I could detect just a little smile on his face. You know, it was it was something that uh, he needed to hear that he had permission to go. Right. He had it's such a sacred time. He had permission to just let go. Mm-hmm. And so I gave him a blessing, and we said we said some prayers for him. And uh, uh, I found out later that uh, just a few hours later he died. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was ready to go. But you know, I look at that. I look at every experience I have in administering the sacraments as a real prayer. Yeah, a real prayer. You know, when I baptize, when I baptize a baby, when I baptize a baby, and I think, well, here we are. You know, Jesus is taking away the original sin and bringing this child into family relationship with Him personally, personally. And uh, one of the things I do, one of the things I do, because it it gives me it gives me joy. Is when after I give the, the the blessing to the mother and the father at the end of the baptism, I hold the baby up above the altar and say and talk to you know say God, God this is this is the baby that you have just given new life. May that baby always cherish that life that you have given given to this baby him or her, her and may they always live the life that you have granted them so that one day they can be with you forever in heaven. That is beautiful. And, you know, but, uh, you know, I t- to hold the baby up over the altar, it's, most people never see that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. yeah. But it's something that, that I love to do. Mm-hmm. So, But it's, uh, you know, i got another one coming up in, in a couple, in a couple, you know, a few weeks. Well, you do a lot of confirmations, too. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> what's that What's that liturgical <laughs> prayer like for you? Well, that prayer, like, is... I use it as a time for uh, evangelization, really, mm-hmm. because before the Mass, I try to get the young people to relax. I get the young people to understand that uh, the sacraments are the way God touches our lives. You know, the way God touches our lives, and I try to show them that you know, just in the sacrament of confirmation itself, it's, I mean, there's so many symbols that we don't that we just overlook because mm-hmm. we just, uh, you know, we take things just well. This is the way it's done, you know. But, you know, just the thing, you know, the laying out of hands, you know, the laying out of hands, you know, spiritually, spiritually it looks like it's the calling down of the Holy Spirit, okay? You're calling down the Holy Spirit with the seven gifts, okay? But, you know, in the Old Testament, the laying out of hands was a signal, was a signal that that person or that animal was about to be sacrificed, mm-hmm. okay? So because before the, before the, in the, in the temple, before a person, before an animal would be sacrificed, the priest would lay their hands on the head of that animal, and then the animal would go and be sacrificed. If a person was condemned to death, the judge would put his hands on the head of that prisoner and say, you know, this person is, has been condemned to death. And that's why, you know, you know, even in, I told him, even, even on the day of, I was ordained, the bishop laid his hands on my head because now I'm going to be sacrificing my life to God. You know, I'm sacrificing my life. So... When these hands are laid on you in the sacrament of confirmation, remember, you're giving yourself over to God and you're ready to give everything to God in sacrifice because mm-hmm. that's what love is. A sacrifice is a gift, a gift. Jesus gave himself up for us. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And so this is the first part. 
And then the anointing, I said the anointing, you know, with the oil, the anointing with the oil is, is, is more than just a, a symbol. It's a fact that Jesus has claimed you for his own. He has claimed you for his own. And with this anointing, you become a prophet. Okay, in other words, you're supposed to speak God's word in your world by your life. You become a priest because now you are sharing in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. You are to sacrifice. Every time we come to Mass, you sacrifice with the priest. And that's why the priest, after he prepares the gifts, he says, my brothers and sisters, let my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God. Because that is the purpose of our Mass, because we all come together to sacrifice, you know, to sacrifice our lives to God. And then you also become a king or a queen, a member of God's family. So that anointing is a very important thing. So, the other anyway. thing I think, as I've watched you do confirmations, you know, some of the kids seem, some definitely want to be there and are excited. Some are like maybe not so sure and they're there because their parents want them to be there. And some of them come up a little bit like, you know, yeah. uh, with maybe a little bit of an attitude or whatever. But I always notice that after the laying on of the hands, after the anointing, and then the sign of peace, you give them a big bear hug. And afterwards, they walk away beaming. You know what I mean? Well, I think, I think that's, the, you know, that's one of the purposes, uh, I think, of the sacrament of confirmation is to give people uh, the, uh, the, the, the realization that they now have become a full member of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's why I give them that bear hug because I think that, you know, this is the one time in the, they'll never be that close to a bishop. Yeah, you know, yeah. the one time they're that close to a bishop, and I, I give them that sign as a sign of a sign that uh, the church, the person of the bishop loves you. You know, and congrat, not congratulations for making this decision. But I tell them ahead of time too. Many times I tell them ahead of time. I mean, you're not all, you are not all here eager to receive the sacrament of confirmation. Uh -huh. Some of you are here because you're in a class and your class is getting confirmation. Some of you are here because your mom and dad said you get confirmed or you don't come home tonight. You know, you know I says, but but that's that's the way God uses us. He uses different means to get, to get us, us to do there. something. You know, mm -hmm. to get us to do something. So, so they, they they seem to soften up. You know, before the mass starts. That's why I give them that talk ahead of time. What does it mean for you to be father, abbot, bishop? What does it mean for you to be that that for people? Well, I'll tell you, when I look back, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder because you know, I started my career, you know, as you may, as you may know, like that, I started my career in a high school education. Mm -hmm. So I had, I was a teacher for one year. Then I became assistant principal or the dean of men. And then I became the principal. And then I, when I left the principal's office, I went to the priors, I went to the abbey and the abbot appointed me the prior of the monastery. Okay. And then after four years of being prior, I was elected the abbot. And I was the abbot for 20 years. And one year before I was supposed to submit my resignation as abbot, I get called by John St. John Paul to be a, a, a bishop. You know? And so I have been in administration in the church you know, my whole life. Mm -hmm. My whole life. And what does it mean? It means that you know, I've had the opportunity to, uh, on many occasions, thank God for the gifts that he's given me so that I could do those things. Because, you know, it could be an easy to be a nervous wreck. Mm -hmm. It could easy to be burnt out. And yet, you know, I love the service. I love offering Mass. You know, I love the confirmations. You know, no matter how many I have, I love them. You know, especially in the spring when I got, you know, one every night. You know, and it's, but it's, it's one of those things where it's amazing that I go out and on my way, I'm driving out to the parish, 
I'm yawning and I'm tired. I've put in a full day already, you yeah. know. At 4 o'clock, I gotta get there for dinner, okay? Get there for dinner and have a nice dinner. And then I go over and, you know, 6.30, uh, I start talking to the kids for 15 minutes uh -huh. you know, just to get them, get them prepared. And it's amazing. You know, before I go out, you know, I say, I say, Lord, I said, Lord, this is this is your doing now. I mean, you're bringing the Holy Spirit to these to these young people. I said, so please use me, use me the best I can, you know the best you can. Okay, and so I go out there. I don't feel tired at all. I don't feel tired. At all. I just go I go crazy out there. I just go on and on and on and on. You know, and I come back in and get vested for mass and go out for mass and. You know, as you as you met, as you noticed, you know, I do it enthusiastically. Yeah, yeah. I do the mass enthusiastically, and then, you know, I go down and take pictures, take pictures for you know half hour after that with all those kids that want to take a picture with the bishop. You know, and I come home at ten o'clock at night, and <laughs> you know, and I'm sort of, sort of worn out. You know, and I come back and I gotta gotta sit down just for a minute and look for the readings for the next day because I have morning. I mass for the Notre Dame sisters at St. Francis Convent every morning. In the morning. Yeah, so I run over there and, and have mass for them with a little little homilet, you know, just a little reflection on their readings. So, but it's one of those things that, you know, for the last, I, I don't know whether you, you know, that I've been out of commission, you know, for the last two weeks because of the surgery. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, I've, been offering, I've been offering mass right here in my chapel. But it's not the same for me offering mass in my chapel as it is offering Mass for God's people. You, know, this, you love being with people. Yeah, and the, sis, you know, the sisters and things. Mm -hmm. you know. But it's a, uh, you know, I, I offer the Mass just as, just as devotedly as I you know, hear. Mm -hmm. But it's just not the same, you know, when you, when you say the Lord be with you and you don't get a response. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, Lord be with you and also with me. <laughs> when some, some people... Um, you know, I think when, when we talk about our prayer life, um, some people don't have or don't think that they have a personal relationship with God. A lot of times uh, I, I find that they, some people may even have left the faith because they said, you know, I just didn't, I didn't have that personal uh, relationship with God. What is that like for you? Describe that. What's it like to have a personal relationship with God for someone that may not understand that? Well, for me, a personal relationship with God means that I know that I'm never alone. Mm. I know that I'm never alone. You know, you know, just, just like my, my mom would. My mom died. When my mom died, before she died, I used, to, I used to have my cell phone with me and call her every night before on my way home from wherever I was. And if I was home, I just call her from from the, my rectory. You know, I call her and I say, "Good night, mom. You know, and God bless you and uh, have a good night and love you." Mm. Okay, every night. But then, you know, when it, uh, you know. A week after she died, I'm coming home from the confirmation, you know, and I'm, I, I'm reaching for my cell phone, and I'm yeah. thinking to myself, I don't need this anymore. You know, I can just talk to Mom, and I can just talk to Mom and listen listen for her response to me. And I, I hear so many times, I hear, I hear Mom and Dad telling me things they told me when I was growing up, you know, the corrections they made in my life, you know, the things that they wanted me to do and how to do them, and, you know, I keep hearing those things, and... You know, I transfer that. I transfer that now when I and, and through the scriptures. You know, what is Jesus telling me? How, uh -huh. how is He in my life? How, how is He reacting to me? You know, because in, in my confirmations this last year, I, I used to <laughs> I used the theme of GPS. You know, because I told them when I became bishop, I needed a, a garment, a GPS to system places, to get yeah. out to all these mm -hmm. places. I didn't know where they were. 
And I said, you know, in the sacrament, you know, in the sacrament of confirmation, I said, God gives us all a GPS. I call it God's positioning system, because He's given us He's given us a system. He's given us a, a system that is so sacred, you know, because he, we each of us have a conscience, you know, and we don't have a computer giving us directions, but our conscience, our conscience, you know, that has been formed, been been formed by our parents, our schools, our friends, you know, the things that have helped us become the best version of ourselves, as Matthew Kelly says, yeah. you know, that we can be, you know, has formed that conscience, and so we know. You know, we know when we're right. We know when we're wrong because our conscience is telling us, you know, make a legal U-turn, buddy. You know, mm -hmm. get back on track. You know, so it just like I, I feel like I feel God doing that to me too. You know, when, when I do something wrong, you know, when I do something wrong, I just feel God saying, you know, hey, hey buddy. A bishop does something wrong. You could do something wrong. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> oh yes. Uh -huh. You know, it's one. It's one of those things like you know that uh, I think. One of the reasons, so I'm going to get a little bit off track here. You know, one of the reasons I think that people hesitate going to the sacrament of reconciliation these days is they think they have to have a serious mortal sin mm. to go to confession, yeah. to go to the sacrament. And yet the sacrament is like reconciliation. I look at it as like going to, to your doctor. You know, you go into your doctor and you sit there. If you just go sit there and the doctor comes in and says, what can I do for you? And he says, you say, heal me. Well, the doctor would say, well, what's wrong with you? Uh -huh. What's your problem? You know? And so I, 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 look at, I look at the sacrament of confirmation, I, I mean the sacrament of reconciliation in the same way as a, like going to the doctor, you know, going to the doctor and saying, you know, I, I'm having a trouble with my relationship with this person, you know, or I can't, I'm, 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 just, I'm just eating too much or I'm drinking too much uh -huh. or I'm not getting enough sleep, you know. You know, it, and I don't think you have to say that, you know, that you killed somebody right. or that you stole a million dollars. Yeah. Just, I mean, just these little things, you know, because, you know, and then, then Jesus prescribes the necessary grace. Mm -hmm. you know, he makes, gives us a prescription of grace that we need to deal with that. Then as we go forward, you know, the next time anything like that happens, you know, next time I see this person that I'm having a hard time with, you know, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to say something, I said, wait, wait a second. You know, I got the... I have the grace I need to deal with that. I don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I have the grace to deal with that. You know, it's like uh, like one of the old monks in the monastery when I was abbot one time. I I, I was talking to him and he's and I and I said, I says, how do you feel about that? He says, oh, I learned a long time ago. Think what you think, but don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> if you th if you think something, you can always take it back. But what you say, you can't take it back. Yeah. So, one of the things you talked about before I think was so beautiful, and, and one of the lines I love in the funeral liturgy is, for, for those of us that believe, life is changed, not ended. Right. So it seems that you have this beautiful prayer life with your, your parents and oh, yeah. uh, with, with ones that have gone before us. And, um, and th that's a very real experience for you. Oh, it's, a real, it's a real experience for me to recognize the fact that uh, they're not dead. Mm -hmm. No, they're not dead. No, I don't. You know, I'm not one that goes to the cemetery and prays over graves. Okay. You know, I'll I'll, I'll pray during mass. Yeah. I'll pray during mass. You know, mm -hmm. remember my mom and dad during the commemoration of the dead. You know, yeah. And then my aunts and my uncles. You know, the people that I they proposed to, my dear friends mm -hmm. that die. You know, I remember them in the mass. You know, but it's a. Uh, it's one of the things that I feel so close to them because, <clears throat> I know that I'm gonna spend all eternity with them. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, they, they, they've given me an opportunity. You know, they, they've helped form me, you know, in various ways. You know, mm -hmm. just, just the people I've met. You know, they, they've, 
everybody's had an influence. Everybody's touched me in some way. Yeah. You know? Some more than others. You know, some more than others. You know, like I, I'll never forget uh, Bishop Bishop Quinn, A.J. Quinn. You know, he and I became great friends. You know, before I was ordained bishop, but even afterwards, we became even better friends. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget driving with him someplace. Mike, I was driving with him someplace, and I said, you know, as, as a new bishop, I, you know, I just want to ask you, you know, what is your favorite day of the year as bishop? He says, he says, it's the day I come home and put my confirmation stuff away for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember that. I remember that I look for that day and I, I just hear, I just hear. You AJ, remember that? I just every... hear AJ telling me that. <laughs> well, outside of that, what is your favorite day as a bishop? <laughs> my favorite day is, uh, is the day when, when I can just, uh, when I can be a minister at the altar. Yeah. For any of the sacraments, mm -hmm. any of the sacraments. You know, and then my most thrilling day, my, my most thrilling day comes, uh, will come next spring when one of the Benedictine monks will be ordained a priest and uh, I've been asked to do this. The ordination. Do the ordination. Yeah. I've done that once before, you know, for one of the monks, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a thrilling, you know, thrilling. Just like, it, you know, at the, uh, you know, at the ordination ceremony, you know, it's a, it's amazing that, you know, when, when everybody's laying their hands, mm -hmm. you know. As I mentioned before about the laying of hands, the symbolism of the yeah. laying of hands, you know, yeah. you know, it's not more than just sharing the priesthood, but it's, you know, it's the fact that you're preparing them for sacrifice, right. you know, and uh, but the uh, Bishop Lennon, uh, uh, you know, all the priests lay their hands on them because they're sharing the priesthood, but yeah. uh, the, the auxiliary bishops don't. You know, Bishop Pillard and Bishop and I will, will not lay our hands on them. You didn't lay hands on me then? No. Because I can't. That's why I didn't. I felt a little off. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people, um, when they pray, um, especially have have kind of an Old Testament experience of God the Father. What's your? How do you relate to God the Father? What's the Father like? Well, I look at my father. Yeah, mm -hmm. my dad was a was a good man. He's a good man. He was a he delivered milk from your house to house. Door to door, he was a milkman. Yeah, and uh, he was devoted to his work because even when we had snow, big snowstorms, uh, big snowstorms, he would sometimes he would walk five miles just to get to work. You know, he said, "Well, you can't go in there, you can't drive." He says, "But I got to get the milk because these mothers need milk for their babies." You know, and, and he would he would he would sacrifice. He would he would keep going you know, for that. And, you know, he was a wonderful example. You know, he's faithful to faithful to mass. Reconciliation, faithful to his wife, you know, yeah. faithful to my mom, you know, devoted husband, good father, you know, made, made many sacrifices for us, you know, and I, I was, I was look, yeah, I, I reflect on him, and then I think about, you know, God the Father, you know, what He did for me, you know, you know, He loved me so much that He gave His only Son, you know, He sent His Son to sacrifice His life because. Uh, you know that took on our human nature to sacrifice his life because he couldn't die as God, but as man he could suffer and die, and mm -hmm. he did that for me. And so, when I think, you know, when I think about God the Father, I keep thinking, you know, why do you love me so much? You know, what of you know, what what, what can I give you? You know, what can I give you ex except my whole self? And you know, that's in the way that's my prayer life too. Is just the giving of myself back to God. Yeah. Many times my prayer life comes just through activity, you know, through through the action of uh, 
of offering mass or visiting the sick or mm-hmm. taking care of somebody. You know, those, those, that's in a way that's my prayer life. But I always look to the Father as the uh, as the kind, uh, loving, and generous person. You know, yeah. You know the one that one that uh, reached out to Moses and said, you know, free my people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, they, they have been calling to me and I want to free them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things that we call on him and he hears us, you know, and he, he responds. Yeah. He responds, not all the way, always the way we want him to respond, but you know, it's just like, just like, just like when I go golfing sometimes and people expect me to make sure that I contact the Lord. For, yeah, right. For good weather. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And I, I said, didn't you pray? <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't always get a yes. <laughs> right. Over the years, um, as you were formed as a Benedictine, and, you know, um, who who are some of the people, and, and what did they model for you in prayer? Who were people that were influential in your prayer life? Well, the first one, just a lay person, was my coach, Coach Augie Basu. No. He was a he's a he's a, a model a model father a model teacher a model coach a model human being you know mm-hmm. mass and communion every morning never never used a cuss word I never heard him in fifty years use a cuss word you know he was always uh, he's always the epitome of of uh, goodness you know and so I uh, I always loved him as I love my own father because wow. he was he was quite an influence in my life as well. But then in the monastery itself, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I learned early on, I learned early on that uh, every every uh, person has their quirks. Mm. Yes. Every person has their quirks, you know. And, but there was a bishop, there was an abbot who gave us a retreat one time, and he said, uh, you know, his favorite description of uh, what a monastery is from the parables of Jesus would be the mustard seed. Because the mustard seed... <laughs> He said, it's like a monastery. It grew up into a big bush, and all kinds of birds landed there. <laughs> okay, you know, just like in a family, you know, you, you can't, you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't, you can't choose, choose your, your family. relatives. Uh-huh. You can't choose your family. Well, in the monastery, it's the same way. You know, you, you can't choose who your brothers are. Yeah, but, you know, but it's amazing. That, you know, sometimes you see the quirks, you know, where uh, the people who are most faithful to what they're doing. You know, the person who's there doing the cook, the person mm-hmm. in the monastery has been, you know, for forty years. He's there every every Saturday, full day in the laundry, doing the monastery's laundry, and every Monday after that, he's up there sorting the laundry out. You know, you know, he's faithful. You know, and then same thing, the fellow who does the cooking. You know, he's in the it's in the kitchen, or the or the, the seamstress who's making habits and things. You know, there's one the wonderful people who go to the class every day, to the, go to the classroom every day. And I think the thing I one of the things I miss most, Mike, in the uh, being a bishop and, and living, you know, living the diocesan way of life, mm-hmm. is that I don't have that common prayer, yeah. community prayer, mm-hmm. community meals, you know, community recreation, community time, when we can mingle. Yeah. Because I think one of the, you know, one of the uh, things that used to inspire me most in the monastery was community prayer was the the people who are working so hard and yet. They're there with me. We're praying together. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they 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 came to join in the in, in the in the uh, you know the prayer the prayer life of the monastery. No matter what their job was or where they've been or how hard they've worked, you know they're there for prayer. 
you know, that's, that's always an inspiration to me, you know. So, so one of the things I learned was that, you know, in every person, in every person, this was, this was in the monastery, but I even, I even use it now, yeah. you know, when I'm out of the monastery, that every person, that you can see something on the outside that it's so easy to criticize, mm-hmm. but in each one of those persons, there's something good. Mm-hmm. Because God created them and said they were good, you know. That's one of the was one of the messages I tried to leave with the women at the women's prison. I have mass there every Christmas and Easter, and that's one of the messages I tried to to leave with them is that, you know, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you're good. You know, you made some mistakes, but God loves you. Amazing that God loves God, us God as loves we you. are. God loves you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I think that you have talked beautifully about, and you can describe what this means, the Benedictine uh, uh, motto or of Ora et Labora, right. you know, the, the blending of work and prayer. Tell, well, tell us about that. Well, in, in, every, in every monastery, Benedict makes sure in his holy rule that prayer comes first. Okay. okay. In other words, in setting up the agenda for the day or the time schedule for the day, we put in the seven times that we meet for prayer, for order the office of readings, for lauds, morning prayer for midday prayer, for evening prayer, and for night prayer. So seven okay. times a day, yeah. the monks will stop and... Yeah, they stop and pray. Mm-hmm. They pray. And so those times are in there. They're, they're in there. You know. <laughs> they don't get changed. Yeah. Uh-huh. They don't get changed, okay? And then once those, once those are put in, once those prayer, the prayer times are put in, then the meals are come in, and then the times for work, and times for relaxation, and those other things are filled in. It's sort of like the story, I'm sure you, you, many times you've heard of, Mike, about the, the big bucket, you know, the big yeah. bucket, and, you, and they, want you, they want you to fill it up with these big stones, these big stones, small stones, the pebbles, and the sand. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, if you put the sand in first, and then the pebbles, and then the small, then the small rocks, you're not going to have... Never going to get the big stones never in. get the big stuff in there. Yeah. But if you put the big stuff in there first, and then end up with putting the sand in the... the, the the fluffy stuff, uh-huh. you know, it'll it'll seep in between the between the cracks, and you'll be able to get everything into the bucket. It's the same way in our life, you know. If we make time for prayer, you know, have a set time for prayer, even if it's in the morning, you know, if, if a person, you know, as 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 a former religious and as a bishop and as a priest, you know, we we have those times for prayer that we make those times because we say the divine office yeah. and we pray the divine office mm-hmm. for the people of God. But you know, for if for a lay person too, they need that time. You know, where even when they get up in the morning, but they just after they after they get up and they clean up and they make their bed, you know, and they they're ready to get started before they sit down for a cup of coffee. If they just sit down for five minutes and pray, so it just take maybe maybe after their cup of coffee, after their breakfast, if they pick up the readings for the day and from Magnificat, you know, yeah. pick up the readings for the day. Just what is the message that God is bringing to the church throughout the world mm-hmm. this day? Through the through the through the epistles or the first readings and the gospel, you know what message is God giving us? You know for that for this particular day, you know just just like this morning we heard the we heard the gospel about Jesus who went to the synagogue and he's you know he he picked up Isaiah and started praying about you know I've I've been anointed you yeah. know, I've anointed to go out and and heal and to cure and to, to to bring freedom to the prisoners you know it, all those things and, and sometimes. You know, that's the message from you and I, too, is that we, too, have been anointed in our baptism. We've been anointed in our confirmation. We've been anointed as, well, I've been anointed as a priest and a bishop, you know, and you have, too. And, you know, it's one of those things where we've been anointed to do the same thing Jesus is doing because we are 
carrying on the ministry, carrying on his ministry. So those little reflections, I think each day, you know, can help us. And then before we go to bed at night, good examination of conscience. You know? It's always good. Good examination of conscience. How did I do today? Uh-huh. You know, it's almost like it's almost like living living the AA program in prayer. Yeah. You know, you know we 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 know that we have to trust in God. You know, we have, there's a superior being. You know that uh-huh. God God has called us. You know, God has called us to whatever we're doing. We've been called to do that. You know, that's why we're there. Okay, and then uh, you know, how am I doing? Am I living up to Am I living up to what God is asking me to do? So you are now an auxiliary bishop emeritus, which means you're supposed to be retired, but we all know you're not. No, 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 no. No, so, no, um, no we, bishops don't retire. Bishops don't retire. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, emeritus just means that my resignation uh, when I turned 75 has been accepted by the Pope. Oh, okay. Which means I have no more jurisdiction in the diocese. Oh. In other words, I can't sign papers for the okay. diocese. I have no official duties in the diocese. I, I left the Presbyteral Council because I was there as auxiliary bishop ex officio, but now I don't have that office anymore. So, you know, the, that's what that's all it means. But I think people, you know, the people around the diocese, they look at emeritus as saying, no, emeritus means you have more free time now, so I'll ask you to do more things. Uh-huh, right, exactly. <laughs> people always find that in retirement, they're busier yeah, than they were. I know, I am. In life. Well, that's a, I think that's a big block to prayer, and I think most people would say that. Father, I'm, I'm, too, I'm, I'm busy. How, how do you... That's where the discipline comes in. You know, okay. As, as a Benedictine monk, ora at labora. It's not labora at ora. Oh, good. Okay? It's ora at labora. Put that prayer in there first, and then do what has to be done. Okay, but... It, Without that prayer, you just you you don't have you don't have the energy, you don't have the grace, you don't have that enthusiasm or the excitement for what you're doing because you're doing it because I gotta do it. You know, it's one of those things I gotta do this. You know, and if you get up in the morning and, and, and you see and go to say mass as a priest, you say, "Oh, I gotta get over there and say mass." You know, it's all you come over with a completely different attitude than if you say, "Boy, this is my." Yeah, yeah. opportunity to share Christ with the people. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So it's that uh, or at labora, and that's what Benedict had in mind when he said that you know the first thing in the monastery is the prayer, and then work. So for you now, and not these two weeks that you're re- in, <laughs> kind of recovering, but how do you how do you do that? What's what's your prayer routine like? A prayer routine like is that I get up in the morning, mm-hmm. I get up in the morning, and take care of my needs in the morning. You know, I always. You know, brush my teeth, and just take a shower and shave and mm-hmm. uh, make my bed. Yeah. <laughs> and I give myself a cup of coffee and I come down here to my uh, my chapel. So right now we're in the bishop's chapel and uh, he's got his rocking chair and yeah. his the blessed sacrament, his prayer, his prayer chair <laughs> and the blessed sacrament. And uh, and I, then I say my you know I, my, after after a good morning prayer I use Charles Difficult's prayer. Oh you know, uh, yeah. And it's yeah. as beginning you know I offer this day to you you know and so on. And then uh, I say my office of readings. I say my office of uh, you know, my morning prayer, mm-hmm. lauds. And then if it's about time, I uh, review the readings for the day. And then I prepare myself to go down the street to St. Francis where there's four or five nuns waiting for me to say, offer Mass for them. And then I, you know, when I come back, it's a matter of uh, making myself a little breakfast and then uh, doing the catching up the work in my office. You know, catching up on the, any emails that I have to respond to or, mm-hmm. or messages that I have to send and so on. And uh, then just doing preparation for uh, 
uh, talks that I have to give or homilies that I have to give, preparing something uh, for this season. Well, this fall I can still use my spring confirmation homily, so I don't uh, know too much. You're safe on that. I'm safe on that one. <laughs> but then there's all kinds of talks. I I got to give a I got to give a talk to the uh, medical association here in the diocese. And I got to give a yeah yeah I have to uh, install the new uh, the uh, uh, Christ Child Society uh-huh. members, and then I got to do something for the Sarah Club, and I got to I got you know these are all different things that I got to prepare for. Yeah. Know, so because I I. I, I hate when I give a homily. I hate having a text. I have a hard time writing out a text, uh-huh. but I like to get the idea so that I can be more free as I deliver. Because I have found in the past that when I have <clears throat> when I when I have to have a text because I just don't want to forget something, right. I, I become so attached to that text I forget the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what I've learned over my short years already as a priest is that everybody prays um, differently, and I think that's important for people to know is that the way Bishop Roger prays is not necessarily the way that I pray, and the way that I pray is not necessarily the way other priests pray right, or people right, pray. Right. What do you think is unique? What do you? What do you? What, what's worked for you? What do you? What do you find that's been a, a good way for you to pray? Good way for me to pray is just to find some quiet time and to. Uh, relate and talk to Jesus about my life, mm-hmm. about what's happening in my life yeah. and what I'm doing mm-hmm. and how I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, and just uh, relating to Jesus, the fact that I recognize that I'm doing what he's asking me to do, yeah. that he's yeah. called upon me to do this. And that's why I am willingly sacrificing my life and sacrificing my time to prepare and to do the things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so... My prayer life is just a relationship, you know, of, of talking to a friend. Yeah, that's one of the friend. most beautiful images yeah. of yeah. being with a friend. Being with a friend, but you know, but the uh, you know, and when I pray the when I pray the divine office, I I, I try to pray it with meaning because I, I try to make those psalms my prayer. Mm-hmm. What I, is the divine office for people that don't know? Divine office is the uh, the, the official prayer of the church. That's well, that's the one I was talking about about seven times a day we meet, you know, mm-hmm. for. Office of readings and the offer office of the morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. Okay, those are those are those are times when we we pray and and it's a uh, it's a prayer that you know it, it it begins it begins with a hymn you know after the sign of the cross it begins with a hymn and to just sort of get get us into the spirit of the of the of the time and then there are, there are usually three psalms or maybe two psalms and a and a canticle in other words we're praying the prayer that's that God inspired. The prophets are the writers to write, you know. So it's God's own prayer, and so we pray those. I, I pray those prayers as if they were they were written by me. Okay, mm-hmm. that they're they're my prayers. Mm-hmm. And then after we do that, we've been prepared for. We get to the point after the after the prayers end. There's a reading from Scripture, and that's the that's the that's the purpose of that hour. The purpose of that hour is to reflect on that particular prayer that comes up at that moment. Then after we pray, after we do that reading, and maybe we just stop for a moment to reflect on what we just read, then there's the response response to that to that uh, to that prayer, the uh, midday prayer, and then the uh, uh, compliment, the night prayer. After that, after the that reflection, after the response, or the there's a, there's a closing prayer. But in the other, in the office of in the morning office and in the evening office, there's a canticle. 
the canticle of the Old Testament, you know, of Zechariah in, in Laws, and then there's a canticle of, of Mary, the Magnificat, in the evening. And we pray that. And after we pray that, we pray the Our Father. We have intercessions. We pray for the church and for the world. And then uh, there's the, uh, then we pray the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And then I like to use, the, I like the, I heard one, one interpretation saying, you know, you're praying the Our Father, and so now you know you got God's attention because you're praying the prayer that Jesus taught, taught us, us to pray. Yeah. So we pray to God the Father. Uh -huh. So that's why after the Our Father, we never say let us pray because we know we have God's yeah. attention. Yeah. So uh -huh. let's go right into the oration. Yeah. And that's the closing prayer. And so, you know, so I like the, that's that's the divine office. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's the prayer that that the priests you know say, and that more and more lay people are starting to join in on that too. Yeah. More and more lay people. And there's some parishes that have a common morning prayer and night prayer. You know, they get together and they you know, they get you know, numbers of people that come and pray with the priest. You know, they pray that 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 particular prayer of the church. As we come to the end of the interview, what I'd like to talk about now is. Um your encouragement or advice for people that want to grow in prayer or that want to have that discipline um, and maybe are struggling a little bit. So um, you've already encouraged, first of all, that there does need to be some discipline. We actually need to, the catechism says that too. Prayer doesn't uh, just yeah. happen. We have to make uh, an act of the will. We have to actually make the time right. for prayer. Um, but what about people that pray and they don't feel anything or they don't hear anything? You know, sometimes people will say, I talk to God, but I don't hear anything back. Most of the time, like I think most of the time it's because the world is so noisy. You know, so noisy that people aren't used to the silence. Mm. You know? They're not used to the silence. They're not used to just just being alone with God. Mm -hmm. I know there was a time in my early monastic life when uh, I had, my blood pressure was kind of high. I was, it was kind of high, and I was having a hard problem with controlling it. And uh, I, I started uh, doing a, uh, a half hour of meditation in the evening, just sitting there, come Lord Jesus, you know, Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, I love you. You know, just Lord mm -hmm. Jesus this, Lord Jesus that, you know. And, you know, and, and I'd be, be, drift, be drifting off, you know, and, 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 and I, get the image, I get the image in my mind of a, of a, of a river, and in this river, there's a big boulder right in the mi middle of the river, and the, and the waters keep going by it, you know, and, and my meditation period is to focus on that boulder, to focus on Jesus Christ, just to focus on, on him, mm -hmm. but in our, mi in our minds, there's so many distractions that go by, you know, oh, there goes a duck down the river, there goes a canoe down the river, you know, and there's just some flowers floating down the river, you know, we, we lose concentration on that rock, you know, and we have to keep bringing ourselves back to Jesus, you know, because our life, you know, until we get, be accustomed to this, our life is filled with distractions, yeah. uh, filled with so many distractions, you know, if, especially, you know, if you're, if you're a busy person, you're, you, you know, you're trying to sit down and relax for a half hour, and you say, well, you know, Tomorrow morning, I got. I can't forget to do this tomorrow morning, or I can't forget. You know, I got that to do yet today. You know, before I go to bed. You know, and you get all those distractions. Like it's like seeing things on the river going by and not focusing, focusing on the rock. But I did learn that. Yeah, you know, after after a couple of weeks of just doing that, you know, trying harder and harder, my blood pressure went down. Yeah, my blood yeah. pressure went down because I was able to just put myself in the presence of Jesus Christ. 
and enjoy his presence mm. and feel his presence. Because until you can feel his presence, you're going to say, that's a waste of time. You know, I didn't get anything out of it. You know, I didn't get anything out of it. You know? It's like, you know, isn't that the biggest excuse for people that don't go to Mass anymore? Yeah, yeah. Didn't get anything, didn't out, get of anything it. out of it, yeah. Well, what did you give into it? What did uh -huh. you put into it, you know? Because did you realize that you were one of the people sacrificing? Did yeah. you realize that you're a participant? That, you know, that the church wants you to participate, not just to say prayers, uh -huh. not just to answer prayers, but to put yourself into it to the fact that, you know, when 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 the priest offers up the offers up the gifts, you know, he's offering you up because those gifts, bread and wine, represent represent you and I. They represent us, and we're offering ourselves up to God. You know, I says if we can only begin to appreciate that. Yeah, we can make such a difference. Yeah, have a difference in the world. You know, we we don't realize how how blessed we are as Catholics to have the Eucharist. You know, to have that gift. And I think that would be a good thing for people too, is to uh, you know, if they're not feeling His presence, to go to their church or to the to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a, that's one of the things that uh, most I think a lot of people are finding out that adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you know, mm -hmm. is more than just imagining. You know, you can sit, you know, look at that imaginary rock in the middle of that river. <laughs> or you can sit there and look at the Eucharist. And you know, if you truly believe that that's the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And I like to tell people, too, you know, that, uh, you know, not only is he there, but if you truly believe, like I truly believe, that my mom and dad are right next to yeah. Jesus, they're here, too. Yeah. And same thing when I go to communion, when I receive the Eucharist, you know, I'm receiving Jesus with... All my loved ones who have died are right here too, you know. So, you know, I'm not just alone with Jesus. They're here with right. me with Jesus. Yeah, I love to encourage people, especially at the funeral, that if they want to stay close to their loved ones, yeah. there's no better way, no better way than, than the Eucharist. Than the Eucharist, because do you believe it's with Jesus? Yeah. Does Jesus, you believe in the Eucharist? Jesus is here? Yeah. Well, where are your parents? They got to be with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think you've, you know, really helped to show how. Um, different people in your life, your parents, and I think especially what is so beautiful is your, your it was your coach, coach. a layman, My football coach. your football coach, right? A layman uh, who, who really formed you and taught you in prayer. And I think that's so encouraging for, for people that may be in the lay state of life and maybe a layman and maybe a coach, you know, that they can have such a beautiful impact. They do, but the life they lead and the example they give, you know, that's a, and they don't, they, you don't realize how many lives you touch, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. how many lives you touch. I think it's also fair to say that when, when we're maybe a beginner at prayer or have been away from prayer, as you said, it's difficult in the beginning to, to be in silence, right? Yeah. But if we, if, we, right. if we discipline ourselves and allow ourselves to do that. Because what, what do we see now? You know, we see now with you know, more and more people, no matter where they are or what they're doing, they got their phone and their earphones in. Mm -hmm. You know, they got their earphones in there. They got to have music. They got to yeah. have noise. They yeah. got to have, you know, like, you know, and that's, <laughs> that, that's a complete opposite of what we need when we pray. Right. You know? When you pray, maybe, maybe we need something to give us, some, you know, to listen to a tape or something before we start, something uh -huh. to meditate on, something to think about. But to have it going constantly, you know, you know during the whole time that you're, you're, you're putting aside for prayer, you're, you're, you're you're wasting the opportunity of meeting Jesus. So, what would you say to someone that says, "I'm afraid. I'm, a, I'm a, like, I'm afraid of silence. I'm afraid to be silent." Why? 
because you get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you begin to see the weaknesses you have. Mm. You know, that's what we need. That's what we need, this Jesus, to help us understand that he understands where we are, where we're coming from, and he knows where we, he wants us to go. Yeah. But you know, unless we open ourselves that little bit of silence to open him and let him talk to us. Yeah. You know, we may not hear words. We may not hear words. But I guarantee you that if you pray, there will be something in your life that will say, ooh, I didn't expect that. You know? mm-hmm. Somebody's going to come up and say, you know, somebody's going to, for example, somebody's looking for a job. You know, you know, all of a sudden, they've been praying for a job and praying for God to help them. You know? and, and lo and behold, somebody's going to say, hey, by the way, he says, you interested in a job? I got something you could do. Mm-hmm. You know, they come into your life. You know, God sends people into your life. Yeah, that's the wonderful thing is yeah. God, he's in charge, right? <laughs> he's in charge. <laughs> he's got you and he, he loves us and he's listens to us. That's why when we pray, we pray, if it, if it be your will, your will. for yeah. my good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Bishop. I, um, would you mind giving myself a blessing and all those that may be listening to this right now? Oh, sure. Father Mike, through the intercession of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and through the Blessed Mother, his mother who's given us such a good example of uh, prayer and devotion and their dedication of her life to Jesus, we ask you to be with us so that as we continue our journey, we will find the time and we will find the love to share with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with the Father and the Holy Spirit as well, the fact that they love us so much they want us to share their life. And so in a life of prayer, we ask that we receive the blessings that come only from God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop.